Welcome to Coffee with Kim. I'm Kim Kelp, and every week you and I sit down with fascinating, smart, and talented leaders, CEOs, and founders so that we can copy their homework. If someone knows how to do something really well, I want to know what it is and exactly how they're doing it. Get ready for aha moments, gems of wisdom, and little known tips and tricks that we can steal and use in our own lives. If you want to join these conversations and ask these experts your own questions, no point in just me having all the fun. Join us on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern live over on LinkedIn. Happy Wednesday, my friend. I hope you are having an amazing start to the week. I know I am. And I am partly because you're here. We're here together. It's my favorite meeting of the whole week, joining you live from Austin, Texas. If you haven't already, say hi in the chat. Let us know where you're coming in from. I want to say hi to Emily and Andrew and Ryan and Jeff. It's always so good to see so many friendly faces around these parts, but we like newcomers too. So Pull up a chair. Come on in. We're pretty friendly. Water feels fine. Say hi. Let us know where you're coming in from. Maybe what is in your cup. As always, we meet here every single week to have amazing, interesting, thought-provoking, and hopefully conversations that you learn a whole lot about from people that are experts in their field. And today is absolutely no different. And it's a subject that I personally... I'm constantly working on and you might be like me. And if you see conflict from like a mile away, you start heading in the other direction. (laughs) So you might be like me and a little bit more conflict avoidant. You see the conflict over there and you really don't want a part in it. However, as we have learned time and time again, Good leadership and good participation in teams is all about structuring your conversations around conflict, learning to deal with other people who might not think or see things the way that you do. And at the end of the day, if we're all going to move the ball forward and get along and work in life, we have got to learn to have hard conversations or conversations we're not really excited about with people who might be a little bit different from us. So I'm so excited to see that Chad is coming in from Texas, like me. We have Atlanta in the house. Hey, Vinci. Serge is coming in from Lebanon. Let's see if anybody can beat Serge here, but he might be, he might win for farthest away. Uh, Good to see you, Naomi and Jim and Byron, who's joining us from on the road in central Illinois. Thanks for, hopefully you're not driving your car. That would be, we can't condone that on Coffee with Kim. We need both eyes on the road. So anyways, to finish up my long-winded rant on why I hate conflict and why I'm so bad at it, it's something that I'm constantly working on. And because I thought it really might be something that other people are struggling with as well, I wanted to bring on Jen Whitmer because she is an expert when it comes to handling conflict, leaning into leadership, and especially, which you might or might not know about, a little thing called the Enneagram, which we will get into more today. So I hope you will help me in giving Jen a big, warm cheers welcome 
to our coffee meeting. Yay! So, so lovely to be here. Fantastic. I'm going to have a sip. <laughs> ah, it's so good to see you on the other side of the screen. Warms my heart. <laughs> Oh, it is lovely to be here with you and see so many friendly faces in in the chat. It's so nice. I love it. Okay, so I hinted at one of my favorites, and I think one of your favorites, but other people might not know, the Enneagram. <laughs> yes. So, Tell us more. Okay, so if you're in the chat and you're like, Ennea, what? It's okay. I promise to explain it to you. I would love to know if you've heard of the Enneagram, just like say yes in the chat or no if you have not. That'll help me tremendously. But so the Enneagram is a personality framework. It's a framework that helps us understand why we think, feel, and act the way that we do. So there's so many personality frameworks out there. I have worked with some of them intensively, Finders and Myers-Briggs, and then there's DISC and Colby and all these other ones. But what I love about the Enneagram that separates it from those other types of personality tools is those, those personality tools tell us kind of what we do and how we do it. Whereas the Enneagram tells us why we're doing what we're doing. And so when you think about your feelings and your thoughts and your actions, if you don't know why you're doing them, you might overcorrect over here and come up with the same problem. It kind of comes out sideways if you don't know why. So the Enneagram shows us these deep motivations that are so deep within us, it takes a little bit to kind of uncover them. And then once we do, all kinds of things begin to make sense. So it helps us understand how we think, feel, and act the way we do and why we do all those things. Which is so massively important when it comes to work because <laughs> what I think happens is a lot of times we think we're certain ways in the workplace, like I'm very approachable or I love new ideas. But then when you actually kind of take the Enneagram, sit with the results, unpack it a little bit. You're like, huh, maybe I'm not as open to new ideas and change as I thought I was. Yes. So I think when it comes to work, it's especially helpful because a lot of times our perceptions of how we act in the workplace might be different than what's actually happening. Exactly. And it's, really also important that sometimes we don't have a good perception of how others are taking in the way we are in the world. But I think even more often is that we tend to forget that other people see the world differently. So when I'm teaching on the Enneagram, when I'm coming into an organization or coaching, I actually have a pair of colored glasses that I put on. And I talk about how we see the world through a different lens. So if I'm wearing yellow glasses, the wall behind you, Kim, suddenly turns yellow. And if I said, oh, your wall is such a pretty yellow, you would look at me like I had three heads. That <laughs> doesn't make any sense. And to take it even further, if you were wearing blue glasses, you would say that it's blue. And now, well, you can just see the conflict ready to happen <laughs> and how we don't know. And it doesn't make any of those ways of being in the world wrong or right, because there are benefits and some predictable pitfalls for each type. But the nine types really show us these different ways that people take in all of information and then choose to act on. It really helps to Rachel's point, helps us figure out the why, 
which you kind of touched on earlier, like why are we doing the things that we're doing? So I know you also touched on some other tests that people might be familiar with, like Myers-Briggs or like DISC. I know a lot of corporate workplaces really favor those in a big way. How do you get your Enneagram results? Is it a test you have to take in person? Is it something that you can take online at home? How can people say, okay, this sounds interesting. I want to learn more about myself. How would I do that? That is a great question. It's one of my favorite questions to answer because it's kind of controversial. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a controversial opinion about that. So the Enneagram, lots of people say, um, oh yeah, I need, I need to take the Enneagram. The Enneagram is not an assessment. So it's not that type of test. There are assessments that can help you determine your type, but that is all your job. Even if I sit with somebody and I am trying to help them doing what's called a typing interview and I'm interviewing them at the end of the day, that person sitting across from me has to decide why they're doing what they're doing because I'm not inside your mind. And actually the practice of noticing your motivation, starting to understand those whys in the typing process is like your training wheels for then using the Enneagram in the rest of your life. So that's kind of my big disclaimer because it's a lot of, um, it's just a lot to expect from a multiple choice test to tell you the inner secrets of your own life that you haven't figured out for yourself. It's just kind of, feels a little intense for that test. Um, so there are a few out there. Um, there are a couple free ones that I, I like. One is called, um, but my favorite is actually a $12 or $15 test called the Ready. So if you're really interested in taking a test, it's R-H-E-T-I and it's from the Enneagram Institute. That's my favorite. Um, but I also have a free resource that helps you start to understand what are the motivations of each of the types that you can dig into and start to say, mm, am I more motivated because I want to be successful and I want people to, that's where I'm tying my worth, or am I more motivated by making sure that I avoid pain and things are fun and joyful? Which one is motivating me? Because they can look alike, but which one's underneath? So that resource really helps you start to dig into those core motivations of all nine types. And when you have somebody that's kind of starting to dig into this a little bit, starting to recognize what motivates them or maybe what they run away from and maybe don't like as much, what do you think is one of the biggest pitfalls or um, wrong turns that you see people making during this process? <sighs> well, there's a few different ones. One is letting other people tell you what you are. I think that is one of the most challenging things because people are like, oh, you're such a this. So when I was first rediscovering the Enneagram, I was introduced to the Enneagram in college, but I am old enough. So the people who are older than me who will know what this is, it was on a copied mimeographed piece of paper and had these big, scary words on it like um, gluttony and pride. And I was like, I think I don't want to play with this. Um, so when I was reintroduced to the Enneagram about five or six years ago, I had somebody that was like, oh, and the Enneagram types are labeled by numbers. So this person kept telling me, oh, you're an eight, you're an eight, you're an eight. And I was like, I just, I don't feel that. I don't see that. Um, and so having this other person in your head can really influence how you see yourself. So you really have to separate what do other people see me as and what am I honestly, honestly like on the inside. And so the way I like to say it is when you are a leader in general, but particularly when you are working with the Enneagram, you have to have 
ruthless self-honesty. It has to be ruthless and it has to be radically self-compassionate. You have to do both of those things together to help discover your type. So I think that's the one big mistake is letting other people look at your behavior and not your motivations. Um, so I think that's one of them. And then the other one is kind of my little pet peeve about turning it into a party trick. Like, oh, you're such a three because you do blah, 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 which doesn't help us live whole flourishing lives, which is why I'm doing this. <laughs> and how, like, it doesn't really help if somebody's starting to nag you about it or label. And I think those are the things that can send people kind of like, this is, this is no different than anything else. And it doesn't help me change. So I, those are the two big ones. Well, and I love your point and Aree's point here. It reminds me like the analogy that I think about is of course, Harry Potter and the <laughs> sorting hat kind of, it sorts you like it gives, it kind of goes in your brain. And then it's like, you're a Hufflepuff, but at the end of the day, you can change your own house. So even yes, though the sorting hat is like, da, 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 you can decide, mm, I don't feel like I'm a Hufflepuff. I feel like I'm more of a Ravenclaw and you can, you know, unsort yourself. So Absolutely. I feel like Harry you make such a good point of really saying it's your choice at the end of the day, what you, because only you know what your actual motivations are. Absolutely. And one of the things I do love about the Enneagram, when um, you go through the nine types, all of the motivations exist within all of us. So if we just like quickly go around these deep motivations, nobody wants to be betrayed. Nobody wants to be overlooked. Lots of people don't like conflict. <laughs> Everybody wants to be good and right. Lots of people want to be helpful and they don't want to be needy. Nobody wants to be um, unsuccessful. You know, everybody wants to be successful. Everybody really wants to not be too much. They don't want to be the person that's too much. Everybody wants to feel competent. Everybody wants to be loyal and have community. And nobody really loves pain. So these deep motivations are in all of us. But the way I like to describe it is one of them is driving your bus. One of them is the one that is controlling everything. And that's the one you have to deal with. Because if you're dealing with the kid in the back of the bus, you still might be going in the wrong direction. So you got to find that one that's really driving your bus. And start to work with those motivations and understand what that narrative is that your personality is telling you. Well, and really figuring that out for yourself, because as Ellen just points out, you know, you're not going to learn that in school. We didn't have a self-assessment class. At least <laughs> I didn't in college or in high school. So unfortunately this work is work that you have to do on your own. It is not something that is going to be uh, spoon fed to you in like a, a public school system or in a, yeah. a classic school setting. And I think one of the reasons that I think that that's so important is like I had said at the beginning, I think that conflict is one inevitable. I don't care who you are, where you work, what you do, conflict is inevitable. And if you don't like dealing with conflict, you likely won't get to that breakthrough point of like those really magical moments with mm. other people. And I know I, for one, definitely have missed out on opportunities and relationships because I am conflict avoided because I see <laughs> it. And I'm like, oh, I just don't even want to take part in this, which is kind of, you know, not where the good stuff lies. The good stuff lies on the other side of that. And so always I'm curious, how do you think about I guess maybe conflict might not even be the right word, disagreements, or is there a syntax even that you like using better than conflict? Well, 
I like to define the things. So there's kind of a range of conflict. So first of all, I 110% fall within your camp. I would like to moonwalk out of conflict. It causes pain. Let's go. I'm like, I'm see you. Bye. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm a recovering conflict avoider. I didn't know that I was a conflict avoider because I just reframed it and it just didn't become a conflict. So that's a whole other topic there, but like some of us do it that way. So we all have these issues about conflict. So when we think about a range of conflict, the most basic definition when I'm teaching on conflict that I like to use is conflict is the struggle. So the struggle in the middle between limited resources and differing goals. So the struggle that we have between limited resources, which are almost always time, money, people, and space. Those are the limited resources, time, money, people, and space kind of all falls into that. And then differing goals, which knowing your Enneagram, what's my goal here, helps us start to understand that struggle. So if we put conflict in these terms of the struggle between limited resources and differing goals, now instead of it being a personal attack, Kim said this, and I can't even believe it, it becomes a problem solution conversation. So I'm always wanting to teach people, if you put it in a problem solution, then you remember, okay, it's the two of us together against the problem out there. Yes, this might be a hard conversation, but we can get curious and we can get creative, but the conflict isn't between the two of us. It's against the problem out there. So that's how I like to define conflict. But sometimes we call them hard conversations. Sometimes we call them uncomfortable. Sometimes it's like, oh, I just don't want to do it, you know? And sometimes it is a negotiation, you know, like you're really intense about it. So there's a big range. But that if you start to get curious and like, oh, how could we solve this? It becomes a, like a Lego puzzle that then we're together solving. I'm curious this point that Sunita just brought up, which is, do you find that most of the people that you work with that maybe are conflict avoidant also fall into the people pleaser camp or are those sort of two separate, two separate sides of the coin? I think they are two different things because I wouldn't consider myself a people pleaser, which is some people don't like to admit I'm really not a people pleaser. I do want you to think well of me, but I don't need to please you. I am married mm -hmm. to a deep people pleaser. So we've had a lot of conversations about the difference between those two things. And yet both of us are conflict avoidant. So I would say that most people pleasers see conflict as something that gets in the way of them getting their needs met by pleasing people. And if you're trying to get your needs met by pleasing people, you'll always fall. And so that conflict just kind of gets in the way of that kind of unhealthy pattern that many, many people have. And it's hard. It's a really hard place to be. So I think it's a great question. I would say probably almost all people pleasers are conflict avoidant, but not all conflict people are conflict avoidant or people pleasers. That whole math question, like when you were in logic. <laughs> Totally. And I know that kind of the visual you gave earlier is really it's two people on the same side of the fence dealing with the conflict or hard conversation that's on the other side. But I like Anya's point here of if you know yourself, which is a great skill to have, you know what's motivating you, you know maybe what your time crunch or resources, lack of money, lack of time, lack of 
people, to your earlier point, is it also helpful or important to know what the other person on the other side of the table, or maybe the one who's next to you as you face the problem, is it important for you to know their kind of Enneagram and motivations as well? Or is it really just more important to know your own motivations? So Anya, it's a great question. And so the way I like to answer that is we always start with ourselves. So just as a like exercise, if you're not driving, like whoever is driving close to me in the middle of Illinois, if you stood up and closed your eyes and then went in a circle and kept your eyes closed and tried to sit back down, what's the first thing you would do? Grab for the chair. You grab for the chair because you wanted to know where you are in space. So we yeah. always have to start with ourselves. We have to start with that because then you don't, you have to know where you are in order to connect or argue or anything with anybody else. Otherwise you're kind of disconnected. And so to be grounded, you have to know who you are. And then it is really important to stay just as curious about what is motivating the other person. So you may not know their exact Enneagram type, but you might start to listen to some of the things that they're saying and get those underlying those underlying motivations come out. Once you start to tune in, you'll see them. I'm like, oh, this person is really concerned that I'm going to control them. And so I need to figure out, am I trying to control them? Or if I'm not, how do I reassure that person that that's not what we're doing? Like, I want to get curious about that. So my suggestion is to don't make those assumptions on your own because we all know what assumptions do. <laughs> and so, and I like to ask three questions. So these three questions kind of help you start to figure out and get curious about what's motivating other people. And the first one is, how do you feel about this? And that is about emotions. And emotional regulation and conflict is a huge huge issue. How do I stay calm? How do I stay professional? All of those things. We tend to then think that emotions shouldn't be included. But if you ask somebody, how do they feel? You'll start to hear, oh, are I feel disrespected or I feel afraid or I, you know, like these things will start to come out or I feel like I wasted my time or which makes me feel disregarded. Like you'll hear the emotions come out. So ask somebody how they feel and then ask them, what do you think? How, how do you, how did you come to this conclusion? What are the reasons that you think that? Don't ask why, ask what. <laughs> what are the reasons? Why is like a pokey question, but if you ask what are the reasons, people are like, oh, you think I have them. It assumes good. And so ask, what do you think about this? And you'll start to hear information that you may or may not have had or that they're interpreting that information differently than you. So what do you think about this? And then what do you want to do? What's their solution? Because sometimes they might not be able to tell you the other things, but they're really clear on the solution and you can reverse engineer. If that solution doesn't work for you, you can start problem solving again. Those three questions are based in Enneagram wisdom, but they work even if you have never heard of the Enneagram before. So like if you walk away from this and you're like, I don't even know what that is. And you remember those three questions. How do you feel? What do you think? And what do you want to do? That will help you start to see other people's motivations and keep you curious to start solving that problem together. And if you, let's say you're kind of in, you're in a conflict and you know, you know, you have all the ideas going in that you're gonna be calm, cool, collected. You're gonna ask yourself these three questions, but sometimes the train goes off the tracks, right? <laughs> and you just, you know, the conflict is not being calm, cool and collected. You know that you're not going in the right direction. Is there a way that you can sort of either 
press timeout, wrap it up. Like if you know the train is going off the tracks, is is it worth it to A, try to get the train back on the tracks? And if so, are there any tips you have for that? Or if you already know the train's off the tracks, it's not going to get back on the tracks. Is there a way to either press timeout or stop or, you know, come back to it with this other person instead of just, you know, <laughs> grinding it into the ground? Right. It's not helpful when you're in that spot because you're not no. actually solving anything. So it feels yeah. bad and you're not getting to a solution. I don't know why we're staying yeah. here. So how do we get out of that is the big question. So there's, if you are starting to notice, it's not, not just not going your way, just to clarify, just because you're not, I don't like conflict is win-lose, let's win together. Like we're always going for a win-win. So, but if you're starting to feel we're not communicating clearly, this, we're just missing one another. I love to label the awkward, just label it and say, I feel like we're not communicating clearly. Do you feel like you're understanding me? Or because I don't feel like I'm understanding you, like just label it. And that kind of is like a, a break, like a fire, a firewall, like, oh, okay, something's happening. And it reset, it can reset the conversation. So that's one way to bring it back in the middle. But there is absolutely no shame in saying this isn't productive right now. I think we need to take a break. The secret sauce to that is time out have to have a time back in. So if you take a time out, you have to time back in. And so you always want to stay safe. If someone is verbally attacking you, you can say things like, I, I can't talk like that. I don't want people to speak to me in that way. So we need to, I would like to take a time out, blah, blah. You know, so if it's really intense, but you can also just say, I'm, I'm feeling a little worked up. I don't feel like I'm communicating clearly. Can we take a break? I'd like to talk about this again in 30 minutes. If you're at home, you know, if like, especially with a partner, like 15 or 20 minutes, go walk, take a walk, come back. Um, I, I need to think about this a little bit more. Can we talk tomorrow? But put the date on your calendar, put it back in because otherwise it becomes awkward again. Cause you were like, Oh, but now I don't know if I want to come back. And we were over here and it becomes all kinds of awkward. So timeouts always have to time back in. And there's no shame in that is absolutely an important conflict tool when miscommunication is all that's happening. And how would you do that? If you were, you know, in a professional setting, how would you do that either with coworkers or maybe even somebody who's senior to you mm -hmm. that you might feel that you have at least less control or maybe there's a um, different dynamics of power in that yes. situation? So I think with your coworkers, you need to establish that idea of like, I get to say what I need and and I, that's that's acceptable. I want I want to solve this problem. Always come back to relationship. I want to solve this problem. I want us to work together. I'm having a hard time right now and I don't think we're at our best. Can we talk later? Just kind of label it. Um, own your own feelings and state why. And again, back to relationship. When you're working with the upper, like you're like, ooh, somebody who is there's a power differential. Then it becomes a question of I I think I'm not understanding what you're asking of me, or I can't give what you're asking of me. Can I think about this for a little bit and come back to you? And most employers, when you phrase it that way, because you're coming back to, I want to give the business what they need. I want to help you do this, but I'm not getting it. And I need to understand why. Can we come back and talk about this in 20 minutes? And, you know, again, timeouts need to time back in. Um, but it's similar. It's just a slightly different twist. It's still owning 
that you are having a problem, not accusing somebody else that they're miscommunicating, even if that is the issue. Um, <laughs> but your issue is that I'm not understanding and that's still the same. So that is a, a way to help that. And I think sometimes we get really nervous about that because some of us have had some toxic bosses. I know that I've had a toxic and abusive boss and that can be very scary to set a boundary. But when you set a boundary, it actually brings your agency back and you start to be able to be in control of what you can control. And most people will respond with, oh, okay, like maybe I, that is the majority of people. We've got these experiences that tell us, oh my gosh, but this one time, this is what happened. And it was really hard, but you can take that back by owning, owning your boundary and asking for what you need. Well, and I love that point of just saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm hearing you correctly, or I'm not sure I'm, you know, understanding what you're asking of me correctly. And I think that that's important to also let people know that you're hearing them. Cause I know that that's something that always makes people really frustrated is I feel like you're not listening or I feel like you're not hearing me. So I think that that's a great sort of powerful way to anchor something. But I also love Alicia had mentioned you know, is there a case that you've found, Jen, where maybe something is nonverbal? Um, maybe someone is being a little more intimidating, you know, physically or, um, you know, where you can't necessarily say, I feel like I'm not understanding you or I feel like this is not a good time yeah. because they might not be saying it verbally. It kind of reminds me of we've all had those situations where someone says they're like this, but they're like, oh, I'm a great listener. But, you know, they're kind of scowling. They have their arms crossed and you're like, well, it doesn't really look like you're listening, Chad, because it looks like you're really grumpy. Um, so people might be saying one things, but, the, you know, their body language is is very much saying something else. Yes, it's a great question. So I have kind of a twofold answer. The first one is if you don't feel safe. So like if you're in a small office or a small conference room and someone continues to get closer to you, you absolutely have the right to say, hey, I just need a little bit of of space between us. Can, can you back up or I'm going to back up, you know, like, especially if you're not starting not to feel safe, that is somebody trying to get some power and you setting that boundary can be really helpful. So if you don't feel safe, absolutely make that to keep yourself safe. Um, the other way when people like their words and their body language don't match, <laughs> always believe the body language, but get curious about it. So rather than um, just straight up saying, uh, you're not listening to me at all, like that isn't really helpful, but getting curious and saying, I'm just noticing that your arms are crossed and your face is kind of, I would say scrunchy because that's a word I use. You make it sound like you, not like Jen, but just kind of observe and notice what you're seeing. Like, I just see that your arms are crossed and you're leaning back. Are, am I, are you frustrated? Is this going well for you? Like, just get curious and ask them some questions. And that usually starts to make people go, oh, I don't know. And what I have learned when people have said that to me, they're like, you're so intense. And I'm like, oh, this is my thinking face. I'm really listening to what you're saying. And that's why I'm like this. And I've had to learn that that face doesn't communicate the same thing. But because people have said it to me, I now know I can express, oh, this is my thinking face. I am deeply listening to you. And, but getting curious about the other person and asking them is a way to help start to identify if that body language is what you assume that it is. And I would also say 
for, for us, because I know that that's one thing that you always come back to is yourself, the one thing that you can control. If you know something about yourself to say it out loud, I think something that my dad does all the time that I think is really, I've started doing it too, because it's, it's quite helpful. Uh, you will tell him something, a story, whatever. And if you're on the phone, you'll just kind of hear nothing. And he's like, I'm quiet because I'm thinking. And, and he says it out loud. I'm quiet because I'm thinking. And I've started to do that as well, because sometimes people take silence. You know, she's mad. She doesn't like what I said or, or she she's agreeing with me where I might not be agreeing. You know, so I'll say, like, I'm pausing because I'm thinking or I'm quiet for a second because I'm absorbing. And so I would say to everyone who is listening and joining us, if you know that you do something uh, to say it out loud so that other people don't come up with their own assumptions of what's going on in your head. Absolutely. So when I was an educator, so I was in, in education for 20 years, one of the things that we called it, we said we called making this thinking visible. And so because nobody can see what you're thinking, I'm going to make it visible. So when you're teaching children in particular how to think through something, you have to make it visible. Well, that carries over into all our relationships. And that is a brilliant thing to do for your dad and for you and others of us who, because we will all fill in the story. Our brain does not allow it just to sit in space. We have to fill in a story. And so making it known and making your thinking visible is a key piece of communication skills, which then starts to prevent extra conflict. I, I know it's something that I personally wish more leaders would would do in the corporate or, or in the entrepreneurial workspace. But obviously you have seen and worked with tons of different corporate groups, with organizations, with individuals. I'm curious, what do you see as something that leaders are, are kind of making the same mistakes across various industries? Or, you know, you see a lot of commonalities that people are just hitting again and again. Yeah. I think one of the things about leaders and leadership is the leaders who understand that self-awareness is the skill that they need are the ones who are succeeding better. So the people who just like, it has to go my way and they don't even really understand their way. Those are the ones that really struggle. Now, I know that's kind of an extreme there, but I think the thing that I'm noticing across, um, across different groups is how do I know when it is time to address something or not address something? Because the leaders who are self-aware are saying, well, I don't, I don't want to be that boss. And they're kind of telling the story about what that boss is, rather than seeing feedback as a way to show and demonstrate care done well. That and then they let something go on for a really long time. And then it becomes a genuine problem that needs so many more solutions than if they would have given feedback early. And so trying to flip that switch, that early and often feedback and addressing problems when they are the molehills before they become the mountains is something that I'm noticing that the people who do that always are having a team that has better, better and clear communication, better work product, more efficient work product, all of, all of the things that we want in business, but everybody feels engaged because somebody is talking to them. You're not just like a, you know, a little widget. You like, oh, here, here's something I'm noticing that can make you better, that can help. And most people want to be better. I think that is a leadership skill of learning how to know yourself and when you're avoiding it and then early and often giving um, helpful and supportive feedback. Well, and I think to Jeff's point, repeating things back 
is also really helpful because again, to your point earlier, our brains kind of, we can't help them. Sometimes if someone is saying four sentences, I know personally, I will hear the first two sentences already be thinking about my response or my question. And sometimes <laughs> I have to stop myself and be like, okay, listen to their whole thought, you know, repeat it back before you just start trying to interject with your own thing. <laughs> that is one of the hardest things for me, even when I'm teaching. So I, when I do workshops for organizations or I have a big one coming up with a community that has really been struggling with conflict, like a city and a school district. And I use a game that's an improv game and it's, you have to listen all the way to the end. And it is the hardest thing for me. Like <laughs> I am the one that is continually working on listening all the way to the end. But back to Jeff's point, when you listen all the way to the end and you're not just waiting for your turn to talk, then first of all, you're more likely to hear it correctly the first time, but there's things get in between two communicators. So when you say and own, here's what I heard you say, which is the way to phrase that, it's so much more powerful. So you can say, so can I just tell you what I think I heard and repeat back what you think you heard? And that other person feels like, A, you were listening, <laughs> and B, they'll start to see either the flaws in their argument or where that's not exactly what they wanted to communicate. And they say, okay, that's not quite it. I wanted to say it like this. And it's usually not malicious. It's just things come out. Like I'll watch this recording later and go, that's not how I wanted to say that <laughs> because we all do that. Communication is imperfect because we're imperfect and allowing that for everybody and noticing that making space for questions and repeating back is the best way to avoid unnecessary conflict and inside a conflict to get to the good stuff on the other side that's getting curious and asking good questions is a key, key skill. Absolutely. So I would say to that Liz, who was like, I, you know, have been avoiding conflict and it's been a roadblock for me being a good manager. Ask more questions. Yes. As Jen just said, ask more questions, get more curious. Cause I feel like just those two kind of headlines alone are, are going to steer you in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And being a good manager is caring for people well. That's really what we're doing. We're caring for people well because you're kind of the shepherd. You're kind of the sheepdog helping people go where they need to go. And when you see yourself in service of the team succeeding and you ask more questions, you will start to have different answers because you get different information. You can make different choices. All of those things start to happen. Which is huge. Huge. Um, okay, Jen, this is my favorite part where we just straight up copy all your homework. So I'm I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> no. Um, okay, what is something that you have started using or doing lately that you absolutely love? You're telling everybody about it. Okay, so this may sound cheesy to some of you, but... <laughs> So I am an audiobook listener when I go to sleep. Like I listen to a book when I go to bed. I used to be a musician and a music teacher. I can't listen to music. I start analyzing it or singing along. It doesn't help me. <laughs> so I started, I was listening to my audiobooks, listen to fiction. And, and then I, I started switching from listening to fiction to doing an app called Lectio 365. And it is, it's an app for Christians. So if you're not, don't feel like you have to go get it, but find something because what this app does is it's just a seven to eight minute kind of the day is done. 
Here's what I learned. It gives me space to kind of process. Here's what I learned today. Here's where I found good today. Here's something that I kind of messed up today. And there's grace for that. And then I usually fall asleep before the end of it. And it's like seven or eight minutes. And I, it's so, been so helpful to me. Um, so other, if you aren't um, that type of believer, that's totally fine. I'm sure there are other apps that are like a short way to end. I'm just a terrible journaler at the end of the night. Some people love to journal that. Listening to that, I'm like out and I sleep better. So that is one of the things I've been telling everybody about. It's been really, really good. I love that. So we say it again. I want to make Lectio sure we- Lectio 365. Lectio 365. Okay. I can send Shelby the link, but yeah, it's- we'll um, that in links for Yeah, sure. they have a morning and an evening one. I don't really love the morning one, but I do love the evening one. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious, is there something that you've done- in the last year that you really feel like has helped you become a better leader, become sort of a better community member, entrepreneur, mentor, just something that you feel like, okay, before Jen was at an eight and now over the past year I've, I've climbed up to a nine because I've been doing, you know, this thing. Okay. I think there are two things that I did. One is that I really committed to getting some high level help for myself. So I've had a therapist for a few years um, and, but then I did, I leveled up my own coach. So I got a new, a different coach for a business. But when we did some things called experiential therapy as part of the coaching program, that was amazing. And I think that really shifted some of the ways that I operate in the world. So that's the big one, like kind of leveling up the help I was getting. And then honest, honestly, like this, <laughs> honestly, I put sleep on my vision board. And so when I'm facing some questions back and forth, like, what should I do? And as somebody who is super committed to fun, this was very hard. I have chosen sleep. And yet I find that I am so much better. I'm so much better getting more sleep and I have way more fun. So while it was a really hard choice, the first like five, six months of the year now, it's super easy and it's just part of habit and I feel so much better. So sleep. <laughs> Sleep. Get it more sleep. It cures all. If you have trouble sleeping, get a doctor. Find a way to sleep because sleep has been huge for me. Huge. Mm -hmm. Absolutely massive. Massively <laughs> important. Okay. I have this theory that because of our phones, I don't even know where mine is, my phones, <laughs> that we are the summation of the five people, not only that we spend physical time with, but that we spend digital time with as well, whether that's on Instagram or LinkedIn or TikTok or any of these other social media platforms. So I'm curious for you if there are accounts or humans or brands that you oh follow that just sort of light you up. They, they pop in your feed and you're just like, yeah, this, I like this. This feels good. All right. So, well, you're one of them. So everybody, if you're oh. not following Kim on LinkedIn and Instagram, we have party, you know, business in the front, party in the back over there on Instagram. So follow Kim because it is always a delight. Um, today's reel did make me snort while I was drinking my morning coffee. Um, <laughs> So there's that. A few other people that I also really love, um, Bob Goff. So um, if you haven't heard of Bob Goff, he is just a delight of a human. Just joy exudes from everything that he is and does. And um, I'm actually getting to do his School of Whimsy later this year. So I'm super excited. But he's just a, he has kind of one-liners that he posts that are really thought-provoking, but also easy to grasp. 
And so I think he's a really great follow. Um, I love Viola Davis's Instagram account. Viola Davis puts out, like she finds like these funny things, but serious things. It's not really just about her, although I love her. Um, I really enjoy her Instagram account. It's just, it's a delight of several different components of the wholeness of life, the good and the hard. And so I really love Viola Davis's Instagram account. Um, here, Coffee with Kim every week. Love it. So. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, okay. As you know, we love us uh, some homework around these parts. Yes, you do. So if you could give us all a homework assignment that we have to do between today and next Wednesday, mm -hmm. could be read a book. It could be to download something. What would be your homework assignment for us? Okay. So I've been thinking about this and you know, as a former educator, I have lots of opinions about homework and how we do this. And so there's two parts to your homework. So one is get, um, if you get my Enneagram resource, which Shelby will put the link in there, but it's, I made it a link just for you all, jenwitmer.com slash CWK. Um, and if you get the free Enneagram resource, it'll give you all the nine types. It'll explain what the Enneagram is, has a little video lesson that goes with it. But I'm also going to send you several other resources as you, as it goes, like emails will come to you. I can't think of those words now, um, but it'll have like 20 helpful phrases for difficult conversations, another free mini course about when to confront and when to not. So it has lots of free resources for you. So go get that. And this week, you're probably going to have a conversation that you start to feel a little bit like, I don't know. And you have that feeling up here because fight or flight is up here. Maybe it's down lower and you freeze. So down low is when you feel freeze. Up here is fight or flight. If you start to feel those, I want you to take a breath and say, I can ask three questions. And so ask those three questions before you start like sharing your point, getting upset, all that kind of stuff. Just get curious, like feel it, take a breath and ask your three questions before you start saying anything else. So, cause it's going to happen. As you said at the top, conflict is inevitable. And I talk about that in my TEDx that we're all going to face it. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that you're human and we have to learn how to cope. So it becomes the opportunity to do all the great things that we want to do in the world. So those are your pieces of homework. Is that too much? Do I need to put it on the board? Like, <laughs> write exactly. Gold star, everybody. If you just wrote down all those instructions, I know we put the link in the chat. And if you're listening to this afterwards, we'll put it in the show notes. But Jen, if people are like, yes, I want to keep learning about the Enneagram. I want to keep learning from Jen when it comes to conflict and leadership. Where is the best place for people to find you, follow you, ask you more questions? Yeah. So I play the most here on LinkedIn and on Instagram, all those types of things. Um, my stories are kind of the daily lessons of life and you know, random things like that. And so those are great places to follow me. If you're interested in bringing me in to speak, I love helping organizations with keynotes and workshops work through this in as you can tell, I'm a little bit of a joyful person and conflict is really scary. So I have this special little thing that just helps us all cope um, because I know how hard it is. And so I've kind of come up with some ways to help people do that. And so you can go to my website at jenwhitmer.com speaking and find all the information and the topics that I cover, cover there. So that'd be great. Oh, come say I hi. I will. Come say hi. I will. I love PMs. 
I will personally vouch that your Instagram stories bring me so much laughter and joy. So I can, I can second that, that that is a great, great, great place to find some light and inspiration. Well, for sure. You can see me very tired and jet lagged as I got back from England yesterday. So if you go over there today, you'll be like, this woman's kind of nutty. She's in an airport. What's happening there? (laughs) Oh, Jen, it is an absolute delight to have you. This has been so much fun. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I feel a little surreal because I'm here every week in the comments and I'm like, oh, wait, that's my face talking. (laughs) And I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be here and really share this message that conflict can be an opportunity. We can work through this and really all of the good stuff is learning how to do this. Your leadership will rise and fall on how you handle conflict. So let's make, let's make it better. Let's do it better. Exactly. All the good stuff is sitting on the other side of conflict for sure. So thank you guys so much for joining. This has been a really fun session. As I always say, we'll be back here next Wednesday, same time, same place, sending a big cheers to you from Austin, Texas. Thanks, Jen. That was some good stuff. Thanks for being a part of this week's Coffee with Kim. If podcasts are your thing, subscribe to the show and you'll see a new episode appear next week in your favorite listening app. If you want to be a part of the conversation, join us live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern over on LinkedIn. You can RSVP at getcoffeewithkim.com. I want you to have your questions answered because why should I get to have all the fun? And let's be honest, you know how to ask some hard-hitting questions. My guests and I cannot wait to meet you. See you soon.